Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Chunky Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on! From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We rollin'! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes reporting for duty here on a Sunday night for your Monday morning delivery. Excited to talk to you for the next hour or so as we discuss the latest in mixed martial arts. Of course, there's lots to talk about. It was a big fight week in Las Vegas, and we have a special guest for today's show, 2023 Journalist of the Year nominee. Nolan King will also be on the show. We're going to discuss the fight card, fight week, the press conference, the weigh-ins, karate combat, you name it. There went A lot went down, folks. So look, let us reset and we'll get started. A lot headed your way. All right, guys, you know, usually I like to go. Well, welcome, Nolan. How are you doing, first of all? I'm doing well, man. It's uh, it's good. It's an honor to be sitting here. I'm assuming this may, maybe at times is your seat, right? At times, yeah, it has been. We have two, you know, a couple different studios in the house, um, and I know it's not the circumstances you would have wanted, uh, but hopefully you get home safe after a long week. Kudos to you. I mean, an outstanding year uh, getting the nominee. Unfortunately, unfortunately, things didn't go your way at the awards, but still to be nominated amongst so much MMA media, we're proud of you. So congrats on that, and and. You goes the whole team just hustled, man. You guys were all over town. No, I appreciate you saying that, man. Yeah, it was definitely uh, an honor to be up there. It's it's it means a lot to be kind of listed among people that I looked up to, people that helped me a lot when I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and so, yeah, it was it was a neat night. I you know heard a lot of different things about the awards show, but it's definitely um, cool that we can have something like that in MMA, right? Like we don't really have like the ESPYS or the hall of fame or yeah i guess the ufc does have their hall of fame but in, in terms of covering the sport as a whole we don't really have many ceremonies like that so it's a neat thing that they do i know everybody has their own opinions of critiques that they could make it better or worse or whatever or 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 just improve it um but to be honest with you man given their resources like something that rob hewitt doesn't have to be doing um it was it was really neat but i appreciate you saying that yeah it's been a a great year. It was a busy week, busy year. The, the pace, as we know, uh, in MMA is, is crazier than ever right now. And it would be nice to uh, to kind of unwind for a few more weeks. We'll need it because I'm sure starting next year, uh, all of a sudden it will be January 13th and we'll be rolling with back-to-back uh, fight, fight weekends. Yeah, no doubt. So, look, since I put it out there, let's congratulate Ariel Hawani. He did yep. win the award. And let's congratulate ESPN MMA. They won best media source for 2023 we at MMA junkie they and nolan i'm sure thank you for your vote whether it was for us just voting is important and uh so we appreciate that we know we th- toss that out at you guys every year and i know a lot of you do it 
So uh, expect more of it next year, and hopefully, fingers crossed, we can take it down. We've won five, but it's been a while, so I'd love to take another one down. Um, anyway, look, let's get to the fights, and then we'll circle back a little bit because it was a fun week. Ironically, on my way to Peru, I saw Nolan. Nolan was landing, so we literally crossed paths at the airport, and here we are. I'm way down here in South America. He's he's right across from my bedroom hanging out with ghosts. So fun show ahead of you here. Let's let's get into it. Um, Leon Edwards defeated Colby Covington in the main event at UFC 296. Guys, I was jacked for this card, all right? It was great on paper, top to bottom. It had everything. It had, you had cards that, I'm sorry, fights that had heat. You had fights where the title was at stake. You had, you know, national pride. You had female fights, strikers versus strikers, grapplers versus grapplers, KO artists, you name it. I could not complain one bit. But, man, did it just kind of putter at the end. Um, congrats to Leon Edwards. He really made it look easy, but I think a lot of it was because Covington just didn't show up. Your guys' thoughts? Um, you know, it's odd because one thing that I wouldn't have expected a certain type of fighter to maybe not have that ring rust would be a, a Colby Covington. Um, George, we, we've been around this guy in scenarios where he doesn't have to prepare for a fight. He doesn't have to be doing things like that, and he was doing it. You know, he was out on the street doing sit-ups and push-ups on the concrete. Like, he's a very dedicated guy to his fight game. But what really shocked me was he's the guy that takes the fight to everybody. And he didn't do that. He let Leon get comfortable. And that's a scary thing to do. And aside from that, when he did finally decide to put his foot on the gas, um, he, he did look slower. He just really, really looked slow. Like, uh, not Father Time has caught up to him, but... I think it was a little bit of uh, him just slowing down a little bit, but at the same time, props to Leon Edwards and their camp. I thought their game plan was phenomenal, and they stuck to it all five rounds. Nolan, what did you think? You were there at the event. A little bit of father time, timing. You know, they kept saying on the broadcast he hadn't fought since May of 2021. It's a little bit wrong. He hadn't fought since March of 2021. And the reason I point that out is because we're a little closer to two years than 18 months. Yeah, I think it was. It Was Was it 2022? 2021. Oh, 2021. Uh, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. 2022, which in 2024, it'll be two years in March. So yes, we're just yes, a few yes. months away from that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, regardless, uh, a, a, quite a long time away. I think for me, I mean, the biggest thing that stood out goes kind of hit it on the head is like, can't win a fight if you don't have any offense. You know what I mean? It's not that Colby was trying something and it wasn't working. He just wasn't doing anything. Maybe, and granted, that might be because of the way, you know, the looks that Leon was giving him or some of the things Leon was doing. So I'm not trying to belittle Leon's performance, but um, it's really hard to even kind of understand what Colby's game plan was. You know, I don't think we really saw it attempted. We saw a couple of takedown attempts. He got Leon down briefly and then immediately, you know, the fight went back up and, and Leon ended up taking him down. So I guess for me, man, I, you know, I, I, the more that I think about this, like I even think the Masvidal fight, like that was whatever you said, like almost two years ago, there was a long period of time, even I think before that, like we haven't seen Colby that much in general right. Um, right. for years. So that wasn't his strongest performance either. I mean, if you remember going into that fight, everybody thought like Masvidal was kind of really towards the end and that Covington was still an elite guy and that it was going to be a mismatch and whatever. And like, sure, Colby was, you know, won that fight handily, 
uh, on the scorecards, but it wasn't some sort of like mauling of Jorge Masvidal. It was a lot of, you know, um, kind of fence leaning and, and kind of some striking at distance and stuff. And Jorge even dropped him in that fight. So I think when we think of Colby Covington, we think of the Colby Covington that fought Kamara Usman twice and the guy that fought Robbie Lawler because in our brains, that was only a handful of fights ago. But I think time has certainly had something to do with it. I think he has certainly regressed. And um, yeah, man, I mean, I wasn't necessarily super high on this fight going into it in terms of the picture, in terms of it, you know, it in my opinion, it shouldn't have been next. Uh, and then it played out, I think, even worse than my expectations. You know, I think it was just a real disappointment. And I think Colby Covington, from everything that's gone on inside and outside the cage this week, uh, has really made it to the point that I think people are going to have a tough time caring about whatever his next fight is. Yeah, and if you guys recall the press conference, he really got in Edwards' head. So I thought he was going to, if anything, kind of keep continue playing off that. And what does he do at the ceremonial weigh-ins? He tells them he's in character. So he almost allows Leon to just take a step back and then decompress and stay calm and not let the emotions get to him. I mean, Leon fought like a true prize fighter, no emotions, stuck to the game plan, didn't make mistakes. And Colby usually lulls people into that with the high pressure, the high volume, uh, takedown attempts. Even if they fail, they're there, you know, putting someone up against the cage, just letting the, the, the clock wind down. A lot of strikers will look up at the clock and you can just see their faces like, whoa, this I'm giving this fight away or this round away or whatever. None of that was happening. If anything, Leon was just kind of waiting and waiting, and he was just capitalizing, counter-punching. Um, when they did go to the ground in round three, Colby's shot didn't look bad, actually. It, it still had some explosion, but yes, like Go said, it, it, it he didn't finish it. Leon wound up getting up. A scramble ensued. Leon threatened from the top as well. And so that, that where he could have maybe turned it around and got it to at least 2-1, Going into championship rounds, you know, like I say, he just his performance level has dropped. I think a lot of it has to do with a Leon's pretty damn good. B, it's been a long time and he hasn't fought. If you look at 2019, 20, it's like once per year with a year in between. Um, you just you can't do that. Not with these are key years, man. 30 to 35. You might not be as athletic as you were in high school college or those late 20s but you still have a lot of athleticism and a ton of knowledge and he's just kind of let it go to waste with like i say these these long lulls in his career um I, I, i'm not saying edwards was ripe for the picking because we don't know if edwards would have been performed better if he had been pushed more i thought edwards could have finished him and you know, to, to give Colby credit, if he fights any of the other rounds, like round five, especially early, maybe it changes the complexion of the game, but too little, too late. Yeah, I think he's kicking himself a little bit at the end of round five because um, it wasn't that much different what, what he did. He just wasn't pulling the trigger, and, and that part sucks. And you let a guy like Leon Edwards get comfortable. We've seen it over and over again in previous fights. He can be very, very dangerous. But Nolan's right in the sense that, like, going forward, you know, last week I said I felt like Colby Covington had a lot of lives because he can kind of spark up that debate with just about anyone, you know, no matter what he says. But him kind of admitting he was in character kind of took that away a little bit. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he just gave Leon Edwards nothing, I really don't 
care to see him fight anytime soon. And the one guy that he called out afterwards, Stephen Thompson, that's not the most exciting of fights either. So, I mean, like, I really don't know what's around the corner for Colby Covington. Like, this this could have been one of his worst nights ever. In front of the president, yeah. former president, too. The guy, the guy that he said was going to wrap the belt around his waist we didn't. We never made it that far because he didn't win. But Dana White also squashed that rumor that that was going to happen. Um, all right, guys, it, it's pretty obvious. We all think Colby's probably title runs are over. He's had three at the undisputed, failed in all of them. He has won the interim belt. He's beaten everyone but world champions except for that Warley Alves loss like about eight years ago. So we can't say he sucks. But is he done? Like, does he have another run in him, Nolan? I don't think so. I mean, Dana White calling him slow and old last night, I think, was brutally honest, but it was accurate. Um, For me, I just don't see a path back to the title. Um, I mean, he's lost to Usman twice. He's lost to Edwards. Um, I don't think that the matchups in that division that are in the top 10 are ones that I would feel necessarily even going like I wouldn't even, for example, Shavkat, right? He fought last night. I'm sure we'll talk about him, but like those I mean, Bilal, like those are the type of guys that Colby would have to, to beat to, in order to get back there. And I'm just not convinced that it would go much better for him uh, against those guys than it did last night. Like I think Shavkat would probably handle him pretty easy. I think Bilal would, you know, is kind of a similar matchup in some ways to Leon so I don't really see a way to the, toward the title. Um, I know Colby has teased previously about a move to lightweight. I don't know if that was just talk. He didn't seem – some of his weight cuts seem like they're kind of brutal, right? But if there is an ability to either move up or down, I think he could probably find life in a new division. I'm just thinking his body type might be too perfect for 170 for a 185 or 155 move to make sense. So I'm not really sure what he does from here. His call out a wonder boy, like, yeah, I mean, that's not necessarily a fight that doesn't make sense. I guess, I don't know. I think his his character, his gimmick of of coming into the press conference last night and trying to, you know, go immediately at the nicest guy in MMA kind of was a miss. Like, I, I don't think it, when you just lost like that and Wonderboy lost like he did to kind of start trying to hype a fight like that, I don't think people will be jumping up and down for it. But it's a fight that could make sense divisionally and I guess would get one of them back on track. But again, there's a huge buffer between Colby Covington in my in my brain and any sort of title. There's too many things in between them. You know what title I think he's closer to, George? Mm. He is closer to the Intercontinental Championship than he is the Welterweight Championship. Go to WWE, dude, and just do all that stuff. Have fun. Uh, for MMA, I think that time may be passing. Well, you know, Matt Riddle was a 170 in – at, in the UFC, and he went over to WWE, and he's enjoyed some success. I, I heard he was at the World MMA Awards as well. I don't know if he presented or what he did there. Yeah, he I, actually sat right next to me during the awards. He did present. Um, we did yeah. speak to him on the red carpet as well. So we'll have uh, – I've been saving my interview with him for my back pocket. I thought it would get kind of swept in the news cycle this weekend. But interesting stuff. So a little teaser there to uh, to tune into. I think it will catch some headlines. So Is that why your eyes were all red? <laughs> he was cool, man. <laughs> I know he's going through some uh, – you know, I was reading about him a bit, and he's had kind of a rocky fallout with some of the wrestling promotions. But he was uh, he was very pleasant even off camera. You know, when they showed me up on the – the nominees thing, he was like, bro, is that you? Like, and then the whole time he was going, you got this, you got this. And then when they said Ariel, he was 
oh, you know, but no, he, he was there and, and, uh, I'm sorry. I just took that in the left, left turn, but, um, well, no, I did, I guess. Cause I, I, I co-signed on what goes said. I guess Colby <laughs> is a good enough talker to go to WWE and do something. And for those that might roll their eyes and go, come on, those are giants over there. That's why I used the riddle example. And of course there's your mm-hmm. Rey Mysterios of the world and Owen Hart's a lot of other guys that weren't necessarily six foot five, 300 pounds. But um, let's stick with the welterweight category, and then we'll come to the other title fight. Shavkat Rachmanov defeated Stephen Thompson. Thompson's name got brought up. Shavkat's got name got brought up. But guess what, guys? None of the well, we'll talk about the winner. Shavkat he won, submitted Wonder Boy. I don't think like you know. Obviously, the trajectory continues to go up. He's undefeated. He got the finish, but he didn't get that little burst upward. You know what I mean? Um, it, in no way did he threaten Bilal Muhammad. I think Bilal Muhammad rested his head on the pillow nicely on Saturday night. But either way, what what do you think, man? Is this just that hard puzzle to solve that is Wonder Boy, or is there something to what Laura Sanko had put out there? She spoke with Hoof, his coach, and I guess he had uh, ankle injury, almost pulled out of the fight. Maybe that was the reason. What were your guys' takes? I think it was a little bit of both. I mean, that that's difficult to fight at that high level with an injury. But on top of that, I mean, we've just seen Steven Wonderboy Thompson do that to a lot of fighters before. It takes a while to kind of get used to his style and understand what is exactly in front of you. And for some fighters, that's taken two fights to figure that out, you know. But in this particular instance, uh, how do you hate on a guy that, aside from one round, has just given us all kinds of entertainment in the UFC. I think uh, I think Wonderboy does that to a lot of people. I don't think it's time to hit the panic button. Mm-hmm. Nolan, what do you do with Shafkat next? It's interesting, right? Because in a just world, Bilal should be next. But Dana said in May, after Bilal's win over Gilbert Burns, that he'd be next. But last night, he used his usual answer about how he didn't know and he doesn't make the fights on the, you know, blah, blah, blah. So um, I think that would be a little nerve-wracking if I was Bilal. Um, especially with Shavkat there. I think to your point, George, I agree with you. It wasn't a sort of a, a burst down the door, sort of, you know, skyrocket performance from, from Shavkat where everybody's calling for a title fight. But what I think did happen was he really assured people that he is as he is what people think he is. You know, he was supposed to go in there and do that to Steven Thompson. So I feel like it was just kind of a, a check on the checklist that needed to happen, but it, the shock factor was out of it because he has so much respect. So for me, um, I, I think Bilal should be next. I think Shavkat, you can give him one more. Um, but who knows with Dana's reaction yesterday. And Dana did kind of pump up Shavkat a little bit when he was given the opportunity to to talk about him and his place in the division. So maybe I'm reading into that too much. Maybe a decision just hasn't been made. Maybe Dana, uh, you know, kind of was in his zone of, of just trying to, to not answer matchmaking questions. But for me, it should be Bilal. Could I see the UFC going to Shavkat? I also could see them doing that, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Dana doesn't make fights on fight night, even though he made Duplessis and Adesanya um, <laughs> on a fight night, and and has done it many times in yeah. the past. But I mean, he made he uh, made uh, Bilal the number one, the next man up to for the Leon <laughs> Colby winner in May, and then he wouldn't make it last night. So I don't know what that change is about, but uh, yeah, man. Hopefully, Bilal doesn't get screwed. Yeah, and for those that are wondering, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're not wondering what happened. You probably know what happened about uh, Ian Gary and Jeff Neal. It's already rumored 
in, in fact, I think Dana might have announced it. Uh, you guys can check me if I'm wrong. Jeff Neal versus Ian Gary at UFC 299 in Miami, Florida on March 9th. Is that an official fight or did that get thrown in some other fights that I heard last night? No, it's official. Dana uh, did one of his breaking news things um, impromptu okay. at the press conference. So he, did, he announced that. He announced MVP versus Holland. Song Yudong versus Piotr Jan and Gilbert Burns versus Jack Della Maddalena. So that Miami card is very, very stacked. Um, very interesting. Uh, you know, the, the one right before UFC 300 is also dripping. So we could be in for uh, some some pretty sweet fights coming up there. But yes, to answer your question, uh, Jeff Neal, Ian Gary, grudge match on the books again. Another welterweight palooza yeah. with uh, Burns, Jack Della Maddalena. Love that matchup. Gary versus Neal. <laughs> Sounds like I just said two first names. And then Michael Venom Page against Kevin Holland. So it's official. Page has signed with the UFC, and he'll debut against Kevin Holland. All this March 9th, Miami, Florida is the location. So that's official. That's the card that's headlined by Sean O'Malley and Cheeto Vera. And they had a press conference. And we'll get to that. I'm trying to kind of stick to the welterweights for now. And then we'll do a, a, a little bit of a shift. But before we kind of put them on the shelf for just a little bit, what were your guys' thoughts on, you know, going back to that press conference, Covington and Edwards, the – imagine if Gary would have been there too, Gary and and, uh, and Luke. Luke's subdued. He's a, he's a chill guy. But that thing was out of control, kind of left a bad taste in my mouth, all the stuff that was being hurled back and forth. But – um what did you guys just make of all that? I, I want to get that from the personal side as guys that covered the sport. It was it was kind of disgusting, wasn't it, guys? Yeah, I mean, so first of all, I, I, with full discretion here, I, this was going on at the same time as the MMA Awards red carpet. So we had to split up the junkie squad this week. Me and Simon Samano went to the red carpet, and Kenny uh, Cold Coffee Hathaway was at the press conference. So I didn't see this live. Um, but when I looked at my phone, it almost seemed like, a, you know, they had the quote from Colby insulting um, insulting Leon's uh, dead father on there. I mean, it's just uh, in the whole George Washington thing. Like, it's just seemed like something that you could it's not nothing surprises you anymore. Right. But it did definitely seem like the gimmick and the nasty kind of dark themes that have been emerging through some of these MMA press conferences were taken to another level. So. For me, it just seemed like between this and the other press conference that went on last week, people are almost – I feel like the fight promotion more recently has been about finding the cheapest, worst thing that you can say. You know, It almost seems like a shock factor sort of contest, which yeah. has always been like that to a certain degree. But I just think we've hit the point now where it's getting to a whole other level. So uh, like Dana White said last night, though, if you take him at his word um, – you know, the press com uh, the press conference at that point in time, they could they could see that that shot up the the pay per view buys quite a bit. Right. There's always going to be the controversy creates dollar signs sort of thing, and yeah. it's going to be a problem for this sport forever. Um, but I just I, I guess it's all about finding that balance. Um, and and Dana did kind of discourage it. I mean, he's not going to punish people for it, which we could have a whole debate on whether that's actually discouraging it or not. But uh, yeah, man, it was, it was definitely next level and we'll see um, if people are going to continue to try to outdo each other in that department. Yeah. I don't think he legally can. Yeah. Um, 
you know, they're not necessarily employees. Right. What he can do is suspend them by yeah. just not giving them fights. But you know how that works. I got to give these guys three fights a year or this happens. So I think in that regard, his hands are tied a little bit. And that's why he usually likes to move on from that topic. It's the fight game. Uh, but, you know, I think we've heard and seen stuff in the past where he has been concerned. Uh, so he's just changed his opinion on some of these antics. But it was good to hear him say, hey, look, there's kids there. I, I really wasn't too happy with everything going on. That was a little bit refreshing. He called himself an asshole for even putting uh, Duplessis and Sean Strickland near each other, which we'll get to that fight in just a sec. But, uh, yeah, you know, and let's not forget he started off with how many people have banged Ian Gary's wife and like, seriously, all this just wasn't necessary. Fights were about to happen. I didn't mind the 1776 look and USA versus UK, which really, I mean, they're such a great ally of ours. I think that's kind of gone by the wayside. But if you wanted to do something, all right. He, he put a little bit of money into and creativity into the outfit. But, yeah, it, it really did get a little dark there. Um, unnecessary. It got under Leon's nerves. He didn't crumble, though. Sean Strickland kind of did. Um, but again, we'll get to him in a second. Let's get to the other title fight. Alexander Pantoja defeated Brandon Royville. Pretty dominant. Um, Royville just kind of didn't have an answer, I guess, really until round five when he kind of was putting it on, on Pantoja uh, uh, until yet again that fight hit the ground. Uh, Pantoja's, you know, this guy is amazing in, in, in a few ways. For one, he just packs i mean he's really built big i was telling goes during the watch line he's got a big chest he's got a bigger chest than a lot of welterweights or lightweights so imagine how strong he is and he's really really good on the ground he makes quick explosive moves uh and when he can you know when he gets that body triangle on you i mean it's you know you you're, you you might be staring at a 10 8 um his striking is pretty potent. It looks like he's tiring, but then when he needs to explode, he does. Uh, he's acquiring experience, you know, through all these fights. I wish he would move his head a little bit more because Brandon Royal was kind of having, like I say, uh, a field day on him until the fight did hit the ground in round five. But anyway, um, the crowd didn't seem to like it. I, I wasn't too thrilled with it either. I think I was expecting more blood i don't know i was expecting more carol rosa and irene aldana who, who knows what were you guys thoughts on the second title fight you know i, I think we can't get it twisted because like the ufc put on a great show you know on paper sometimes it just doesn't deliver and that that's kind of what went on starting with uh this fight i think you know you were talking about the end of the night just kind of fizzled out um if you look at their skill sets, it just, I don't know, man. There, there was something about when Royville is just not really like the type of fighter that I think is built to fight, come from behind type fights because he lacks a little bit of zip, a little bit of power on his shots. And I think once Pantoja realized that he's just not going to get hurt by him, he had the recipe. I'm just going to take him down over and over. And Royville, I think, spent too much time trying to mount an offense off his back, which he has been able to do in the past rather than just get up and maybe try and threaten him a little bit more in the striking, because you were right early on in the fight. It, it, uh, you didn't have the feeling that he was going to knock him out, but he did seem like he was the, the better striker for a moment. And I think a little bit is just part strategy. Uh, a couple things that Royville, I think took too long to figure out, mm -hmm. but uh, I, to him, I mean, it's probably going to be a long road for him to get back there too. 
the fight wasn't awful, but it wasn't great either. He kept catching leg kicks. I wish he would have stopped throwing leg kicks because it was one more way of Pantoja to just get him down to the ground. Notice mm-hmm. Royal didn't want to go down to the ground with Pantoja. He knew there was a a, a level above, you know, and, and Royal is not bad on the ground himself, but you could tell he was hesitant, whereas Pantoja, obviously, that's where he wanted it, although he felt comfortable on the feet. But what do you think, Nolan? Was this just... I mean, they're two exciting fighters. We can't blame the matchmaking. Royal earned his his spot there. Pantoja just doesn't seem to—I don't know—he doesn't seem to garner a lot of uh, buzz. Like the fans don't gravitate to him. He speaks, you know, pretty decent English. What, what do you think, man? He he wants. He, I think he's probably going to be stuck in a co-main spot for a while. Um, I guess what does he care, right? As long as the main event is someone that sells pay-per-views, he'll get his pay-per-view cuts, but he wants to go to Brazil. What, what do you see the future for this guy? You think it's just a matter of time before someone takes him out or could he stay there for a while? Um, I think flyweight, honestly, man, is, is probably um, the division that I think you look at it from top to bottom, from the, the champion to the, the guy at the bottom of the pre, you know, the, the guy that's 0-2 in, in flyweight. And there's really no like, easy fights in that division right so i think as you continue to move up in the hierarchy of 125 i think it's at the top too like yeah i mean pantoja and moreno could fight 10 times and it could be five and five i mean we saw this with figueredo and moreno right so the skill level is so high the margin of error is so low um for pantoja i think the fact that he's beaten moreno already um is a huge feather under his cap but to answer your question about his popularity um, or kind of your thoughts about his popularity and maybe the, the lack of buzz, I think part of it is due to this thing that, that happens to some of these guys that, especially in divisions maybe that aren't the most popular um, or they, they don't have the biggest stars in them, is that if you see them lose they throughout their career before they get to the title, they lose maybe some of that sort of aura about them, right? True. Antoja had just come in the UFC and he had worked his way up like a Makayev might or an Albazi might, or, um, you know, Tatsura Tyra might, and they, he just kind of cleans house and he's champion. Then you start to get that sort of buzz and, and people say, man, like, is this guy unbeatable? Like, and everybody knows that everybody in the sport pretty much loses, but there's always that something special about like, will this be the time that we see so-and-so, you know, right. lose or get knocked out or tap or whatever. And so that's gone with Pantoja. Um, I think a few more fun fights under his belt um, will get people maybe more excited, uh, a longer title reign, right? That can do the same thing, kind of build that aura, that um, sort of draw towards towards people's interests. Um, but he seems like a great guy, man. Like, you know, sitting up there, he was kind of like the anti the anti Colby last night. He, he said it even before the press conference last week when he spoke to us at Media Day. You know, he was talking about how, you know, he, he thinks Brazil needs a hero right now and he's trying to be a, a good role model. And even if he doesn't make as much money, it's, it's, you know, he's, his family's comfortable and he can be, you know, a good, um, set a good example for his children. So I, I like him a lot, but we just know that that sort of stuff doesn't, you know, really resonate a lot of times with buzz. So, um, mm-hmm. great guy, good fighter, great fighter. Um, but yeah, he's going to need some more divisional dominance, I think, before people really get invested in his fights. Besides thinking of it as just a very high-level flyweight fight, you know. Mm-hmm. It, tell me if you guys think this is cheap heat. I think that's what they call it in pro wrestling. What if Royval? You heard him say something about 
something in one of the episodes of Embedded having to do with the avalanche because he likes the roller skate or ice skate or I forget whatever it was. Um, there's got to be one of the guys on the avalanche that likes Royville or maybe the Broncos. If one of those guys would just walk out with Royville, it would be kind of a big deal on social media. Uh, or maybe if Pantoja had like a, an old Brazilian soccer star walk him to the octagon, it's kind of cheap, right? Because you're using a corner man spot. In fact, I'm, I bet you the UFC would let them walk in and then just gravitate off to a seat or something like that. Or, or like when Roberto Duran did it, I think it's people's eyes on the person. Because think about it. If Royville wins, do you guys really expect this whole week of national media? No, right? He wouldn't have, he didn't, he doesn't just jump off, you know, or, or anything like that, jump off the page or jump off the press or whatever it's called. Um, these guys need to do something a little bit more if you're going to go the nice guy role to, I, I guess, attract something. I've always said a good nickname. Okay, Rod Dog, I love it. Um, a great walkout song, one where somebody goes, oh, yeah, they want to sing along or just. Yeah, I will say that's the one thing I think Pantoja has going for him. Many men, great walkout song. I've seen mm-hmm. it a few times live now with him and, like, gets the crowd going. So I agree with you. He needs to brand himself a little better, but the walkout song might be the best thing he's done in that department, you know? <laughs> yeah. And who was it, Jack Black, that came out with Stephen Thompson? Yeah. yeah just anything like that. Like, I, 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 I'm kind of co-signing. Goggins was part of. Tony's camp, so he, he wasn't just called upon to do the walkout. But I think something like that, it attracts eyeballs and it just pops on social media. That's just my advice to maybe a young fighter who is considered, you know, maybe not someone that has the it factor. But all right, enough of that. Let's get to Ferguson and Pimlet. So yet again, Tony had a couple decent moments. I was telling goes in round one, he was throwing some nice punches. Uh, his speed didn't look so bad for a 39-year-old. Uh, but I did note that Pat Patty Pimlet went from a lean, lanky, lightweight to he kind of filled in. He had a different haircut. He filled in. He had some muscles. And guess what? He polished up. He cleaned up his striking a little bit. He's always had a pretty formidable grappling game. Now I'm starting to become a believer. That doesn't mean I think he's got some from Makachev or that he's going to be a world champ. But I feel like he can keep taking those next steps where I felt like after the Gordon fight, for example, mm, you're at your level, kid. You need to get better before you start getting to those other guys. Otherwise, it's not going to be good for you. Now, okay, again, it was against the 39-year-old in Tony Ferguson, uh, someone who has lost to great fighters. Let's give him that credit. Uh, but we'll get to him in a second. What were you guys' thoughts on the winner, Patty Pimlet? I like what you said in the sense that, you know, even before the fight started, even in the press conference, you know, for as much dirt that was getting flung around, he kind of held held his own. He kept his cool. And then his physique was definitely different. He felt like he made some improvements in his game. I think it's enough to get past a guy like Tony Ferguson and maybe a couple other fighters. Mm-hmm. But uh, finishing probably would have give us given us more to talk about tonight mm-hmm. and made more of a statement. The fact that he didn't finish the fight, I think uh, he had talked about it being lose-lose. I don't know that he walks out of there a, a loser, but I think he did miss out on a little opportunity that could have made him even bigger. I thought overall it was a, a good, solid performance, but he's got a lot to live up to. you know. And it's not just Dana White and Hunter Campbell that are shouting his name. He goes out there and he puts, he makes the, his own pressure. You know, he goes out there and he says a lot of things that mm-hmm. need to be backed up. And 
you cannot look backwards once you go past a guy like Tony Ferguson. That's it, man. Like you got to get top level from here on out and we'll have to see if he'll be able to handle that. But I did see improvements in his game and I was happy with that. Mm -hmm. He said it was lose, lose Nolan. Did he, aside from winning, did he kind of lose or do you think he did take a next step? He played it cool at the press conference. And at the end, he he even kind of gave Tony his space. Almost when you give that other fighter a look, and then you guys either slap hands or maybe hug. Tony, of course, wasn't into it. Only at the very end, after the announcement came, did he kind of come over and, and congratulate him. But um, it looked like he kind of played his B-side pretty cool until he won the fight, became the A-side. But again, sorry to cut you off there. I kind of left you hanging. But do you, do you think he progressed upwards? Uh, not just yeah. Not just with the win, but his status. Yeah, I definitely do. You know, I think that year off and maybe honestly the Jared Gordon fight and the reaction to it afterwards might be the best thing that we ever that, that ever happens to to Patty Pimblett. I think he looked like a more mature fighter, um, both with the way that he handled the fight. He's always been pretty good in the spotlight. Like I don't I don't think he's ever somebody that's folded under pressure. He's had a buzz about him since using cage warriors long, long ago. So I, I don't think that's necessarily been an issue, but in terms of the preparation, in terms of not ballooning up in between camp, I know that's something the UFC was really not necessarily thrilled about was seeing him be overweight and eat like that. So um, it sounds like for whatever reason, he was able to get his training in order. He, like Go said, he's got, he, I thought he looked physically very good last night. He had, you know, abs and, and he seemed like he put on some more muscle and he even tied back the hair, you know? So um for me, I, I think it just seems like his approach was more mature. He went out there with a point to prove. And I think, honestly, that was his best performance uh, in the UFC to date. I think we saw a lot of things out of him in one fight, you know. Um, sure, going out there and getting a knockout's cool. But he really, um, there was a few fights there in the UFC where he got dropped. He got hurt, you know, in the, in, against guys that he was supposed to beat. So to go in there against a, a wily veteran like like Tony Ferguson, a weird, you know, weird things being thrown at him off the bat, Guy giving it to him a little bit more in the press conference than he's used to. Going against the legend. Big spot. Having something to live up to after what happened last December. I think he did really well, man. I think that was a very, a really good step in the right direction. And hopefully uh, he can have a more consistent schedule um, here and in, in coming up here in 2024. It's really yeah. kind of like a weird situation, George, when you think about it. Because if you look at some of the guys who have lost as of late in that division – you look at a guy like Benil Dariush. Do you think you could beat him? I don't think you could beat Daniel Benil Dariush. Bobby Green just lost. I, I still don't think you could beat Bobby Green. So where exactly is he? He just beat a good name, but it's a name that's kind of like towards the end, you know? So I, I really don't know what to do with this guy moving forward. Yeah. Well, like I say, I think I think he at least put the Gordon fight behind him, that whole controversy. He got over that injury. He added to his physicality, um, and he he probably won over some Ferguson fans because I think he played his cards right in terms of respecting the the older veteran and all that. And speaking of Ferguson, that is seven in a row. Dana's even saying, I think this should be it. However, fighters of Ferguson's stature in the past have gotten that last one out of him. If he were to convince Dana, how does he do it? Or... I mean, do you guys just want to show him the door? Do you want to maybe guide him towards PFL? What do you think should be next for Tony Ferguson? Hmm. That's rough, man. I, if it were up to me, I think you have to not only look at what's happened inside the cage, you have to look at what's happened outside the cage. 
And right now, Tony Ferguson has a lot more to figure out than just fighting. And I think uh, if I'm the UFC, I say, look, you know, you had a great run, but this is where the story is going to end. There's no more Bellator, right? So, I mean, to a certain extent. So his options outside of that are really, really slim. If he goes to the PFL, I imagine the PFL is going to use him to put somebody else over maybe. Um, I don't know. I don't know that Tony wants to fight outside the UFC. He probably collects a, a very high paycheck, and I don't. he doesn't look like the type of guy that would you want to break the news to him that he's getting a pay cut? Right. Well, you know, like a Sam Alvey, a Chuck Liddell, I know two very different careers, but they had something, some ingredient in them that allowed them to get, I think Alvey might have gone seven as, as well, maybe lost that eighth, I can't remember, or, or one or whatever. Uh, Liddell got one last one because he told them, I'm going to take it serious. Nolan, when Tony was fighting, he just, it's like he's fighting five years ago. When you're on the ground with mission control and you've already lost two rounds, like that's no way of garnering points. Go, I, I'm going to steal this take from Goes that he said in the past. He, it's it's almost like the, the, the coaching is, you know, it, it's it's from years back. It's a you see a closed guard. You see these elbows. I get it. Those are his blades. Some of them land. I get it. But he never once really opened up Patty. Patty, I think, had a, a bloody nose, but it was from strikes. But yet, all that time is just coming off the clock. He's not walking his way, you know, scooting to the cage to get his back against the wall. He's not attempting sweeps. He's just so happy being on his back thinking he's going to hit some sort of a submission and it ain't happening, baby. So I think first of all, please tell us you're going to get with some type of coaching that can get through you so that your tactics change in that regard. It seems like the cardio's there, the will, you're popular, you're sellable, but man, I mean like the, those tactics are just terrible. Yeah, it was um it was a little bit of like a fool me once, shame on you sort of thing where I feel like we've heard from Tony multiple times throughout this skid which i believe again i'm not mike bond i'm not the stats guy but i think tony tied bj penn's record for the most losses in a row i think sam alvey had a draw somewhere in his uh streak of, of losses so mm -hmm. uh yeah man i mean to me i always look at damage as the first thing for tony um he's taken a tremendous amount of damage in recent fights then to go in there uh, kind of a step down and still lose 3026 or 3027s, whatever they were on, on all the judges' scorecards. It's not great. You know, I, I don't know, especially in a division like lightweight, if if you look like you're regressing, if you don't, you know, like you mentioned, like he kind of just was comfortable off his back, or or maybe he wasn't comfortable, but he couldn't, he just kept ending up there, which is a whole different problem within itself. I don't know what you do, man. You know, sure, he could stick around, he can fight Clay Guida, he could fight, you know, some I don't know what other veterans are are. Uh, kind of in that's that Jim guys, Miller at UFC 300 Jim Miller stuff like that he could do but I just I still at the same time don't when I watch Jim Miller fight when I watch Clay Guida fight they're pretty freaking competitive no matter who they're given you know sure yeah. they've, they've had some knockout lot you know they've had some losses where they've been finished um but I never feel like oh my god like this is sad like you know let's 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 stop this and so this was a real gauge for Tony what happens when we take him out of the elite what happens when you know, it's not Michael Chandler when it's not uh, Charles Oliveira standing across from him. What, what's going to happen then? And so for him to get dominated still, even though he wasn't knocked out, he almost was in the first round. Mm. Um, 
yeah, I, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate if the UFC were to part ways with him. Um, maybe get a fresh start in PFL. It'd be a huge feather under their cap. I'm sure they'd be willing to pay him a lot of money to go there, um, just for the the attention that it would get. Um, yeah. I just think he needs a recharge in 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 that in that way. You know, was that crazy? Because I literally pulled it out of my ass. Ferguson against Miller. Because remember, Dana said, "Wait till I announce the first fight. You're gonna go, whoa! If that's where you're headed, this card's gonna be stacked." Hey, look, if they have 15 fights on what is it, April 13th? UFC 300 in Las Vegas, and the first one of the night is Miller versus Ferguson. I'd be like, yeah, sure, I'll take it, you know? Yeah. I also think, like, there's always something in my brain, too, that always says if a fighter comes to the UFC and says, you know what, I've lost a ton in a row, I want one more, and that's going to be it. It'll be my retirement fight, win or lose. Right. I would always give those guys that respect, unless it's like the boy that cries wolf, you know what I mean? Like, dude, we've already told you this is going to be the last one four times. Right. But so I would be, you know, if Tony wanted to come back, fight a vet like Jim Miller, fight a vet like Clay Guida, and that was going to be it, you know, he could have, he could, I always think it's cool when they tell you beforehand, you know what I mean? It makes the moments feel, feel special and the fans get into it. And so something like that, I think like with, with, with what Robbie Lawler did recently, like I would, I would give Tony that respect. He's done enough where he could, he could get some sort if, as long as it's not some matchup that's going to kill him, like, yeah, I would, I would be cool with that for 300. Because with Liddell, it was the fact that he probably wasn't coming in at his best. And he did against Franklin. It's just that um, uh, he got knocked out, you know. But he broke Frank Franklin's forearm right before Franklin knocked him out. And so he actually did look good. And it sucked to see him go out, but he was older, the chin. Um, you know, I think I prefer him retiring as well. But if you're going to do one more, go in there, plead with the boss, because that's the way to his heart. He he's a softy in that regard. Um, and but be you know, own up, man. You got to watch the fight and realize what's happening. And all that time on your back is just no good. Look up the rules. Look up the rules for the modern game, the unified rules. Just being on your back, whether anything's happening or not, is already a bad thing, you know. So, um, and the closed guard and, and mission control, like maybe if I had if I had won the first two rounds and someone starched me, maybe I'd do mission control just so I can get my wits back and kind of trap them or or do a lockdown on their legs. But uh, it, it just seemed like I say tactics from like 2010. Anyway, not to belabor that, let's let's cover the other main card fight: Josh Emmett. Holy cow! He stole on uh, Bryce, or yeah, Bryce Mitchell. Looked like a shot right in the mouth, a little bit of the nose, maybe part of the button. I don't know, but he went out. He was stiff. He had a little bit of the twitching going on. Uh, I don't know if that's a might be too late for KO of the year for some publications or however they they figure it out. But that's up there. Josh, I'm needed something like that though, right? Like yeah, two losses in a row, shook him off. Yeah, he shook that off really quick, and it makes people want to see him again, right? That's a, it's a good victory. I don't know what Bryce Mitchell. Um, this has been a bad year for him. I, I don't know how he can bounce back and how quickly he can make all that happen. But uh, that was one hell of a KO for, uh, for uh, oh my god, I just forgot his name. Bryce Mitchell or Josh. Yeah, uh, I know the fight didn't play out too long, Nolan. Not much to say. It's just no, I mean, KO, one, I guess. one of the nastiest knockouts I think I've ever seen in person. You know, whenever you get that convulsing thing, it can be pretty gruesome. Um, I can't even really remember seeing it to that extent in the UFC. Like, 
I think sometimes in Bellator, um, you know, you would see kind of the execution hour of the early prelims or something, some heavyweight would land something crazy. And I've seen it in Bellator before, seen it in PFL or WSOF before, usually at the lower levels. But yeah, I, I can't remember a knockout landing that clean on a guy or where they show him convulsing like that. Just super nasty. I'm glad Mitchell's okay. Um, I wonder though, if he regrets taking that on short notice, um, seemed like he had a pretty bad weight cut as well on the scales on Friday. He looked kind of awful. You could tell he was depleted. You know, he was kind of aggravated. They made him get back on the stage to the, the, the uh, scale, the pose, stuff like that. So um, great on Josh Emmett makes himself relevant again in the, in the, the upper echelon of the division shows that he's got that one punch power people should tune into. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, man, that was, that was freaking nasty. That's all I got to say. Mm-hmm. Let's blast through these, and then we'll talk about Duplessis and, and the Strickland fight, also at the T-Mobile on Saturday. Alonzo Menafield versus Dustin Jacoby goes, I think we can agree, it was 1-1 going into round three. Dustin Jacoby looked like he was going to start to pull away in that round, and then all of a sudden he he got a, uh, a knuckle sandwich, and uh, I, I think that's why you know Menafield got, won the fight was because of the way he closed with, with that knockdown. Yeah, I think he's got to be frustrated when he goes back and watches that because he was in such a good position. Um, Mm -hmm. Menafield, I got to give him props. You know, I I think he found a way. There's Mm -hmm. been other fights where you feel like when things aren't going his way, they just continue to roll that way. But he was able to make an adjustment and and catch Jacoby. And uh, that that fight was a lot of fun. I liked it. I was just saying, too. Uh, Jacoby looks comfortable. He looks like he, you know, he's starting to pull away. He's he's confident, but he better keep. Oh, and then Menafield stuck him, and I was like, wow. I was just about to say, get them hands up. Um, Menafield, you know, he was fighting the reach, right? But and he's he throws more hooks than conventional straight punches, but he got a piece of it. And I know when Jacoby looks at that, he's gonna go, I had this fight, I had it. But look, let's blast through some other ones. How about Carol Rosa and Irene Aldana? Nolan is that? One of the better ones you've ever seen in in WMMA. Yeah, man, it's uh, it was awesome. I mean, just an absolute blood and guts war, and I think it was the fight probably people were least excited about on this card, if I'm being quite honest with you. So good on them, um, Irene, showing that she's uh, she's always game. She's she's probably one of the more fun uh, uh, female 135 pounders. So she's really established herself like that. And for Carol Rosa, that's a great career builder. I mean, now no matter what she does, she can. Get, you know, go 0-3 and, and get cut from here on out. She'll always have that thing that she can hold on to that she'll be remembered for um, when people go and and watch the the you know the playlist of the best female fights of all time in UFC history. That will probably be in there. So just a really gnarly fight. Um, if you, if you guys are fans of blood and guts, go back and and you missed this one, go back and watch it. Yeah, exactly. Um, Irene Aldana is a good example of how you can shake off a title fight where people have doubts. And let's face it. When Nunez was there, I think you had doubts about anyone that faced Nunez and got stomped because Nunez was Nunez, right? The the the, the boat. But she's gone now. And now Irene Aldana won four out of five, lost to Nunez. I mean, got destroyed by Nunez. And I think I had already kind of shuffled the deck and put her towards the back and said, okay, well, she, she's not going to be a champ anytime soon. She just came out and looked great. She had a great fight and she looked really, really great and hungry. She was stalking Rosa. Um, she took so many leg kicks 
and just walked right through them. And look, I hate to say this, she's Mexican. The UFC loves to promote their Mexican fighters. They're going to open a PI down there. They've had some world champions. It's just a great place to bring in some fans. I think she could be looking at a title fight in 2024. She's going to need one more win. But that that whole that whole deck has been reshuffled, to use that analogy again. With Nunez out, I, I think Irene Aldana just made herself another, you know, a, a title contender yet again. And that's shaking that off and i'm saying this only because covington i thought went the one or the, with the went the the wrong route uh rigged election i won the judges are tripping because i'm a trump fan dude you know pick yourself up win your next fight be exciting and then kind of do what irene altana did I, I think right guys you gotta hope it's the same fighter though i mean like what they went through i don't know that they come back the same fighter moving forward i mentioned that earlier in the morning i was watching the news there was a, a lady that went through her windshield and she looked better than those two girls at the end of their fight. Like there's a lot of trauma there, but you're right. The, the route is there and you have a performance like that and people fall in love with you. So I think, uh, I think she could make some waves in 2024. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still Raquel Pennington versus Myra Buena Silva, right? Because somebody had asked Dana, why weren't, both ladies at the press conference or something like that came up and did you guys hear anything about that have you guys heard anything about if that fight's still on that card with Duplessis and Strickland in in Toronto so my understanding is that it is I think there was some sort of at least the way that it explained to me was that there was some sort of um, delay or travel issue with Pennington getting there so that they decided to remove them both from that press conference Myra Buena Silva Uh, was sitting she was there she was sitting two rows in front of me so um, I think it was more of, of that sort of thing, unless that was just being thrown out there. You know, who knows? Maybe that was some cover for, you know, a new matchup that needs to be in the works or something. But uh, signs right now was that it was just more of a logistical thing. Cody Garbrandt finishes Brian Kelleher pretty early in round one. Uh, I mean, from what I saw, he looked pretty damn good. Uh, what'd you guys think? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was uh, first of all, I want to say that I'm a big fan of the veteran versus veteran matchups, um, guys that need wins fighting each other versus getting paired off with contender series, you know, 14 and 0 guys from Russia. So shout out to the uh, the one, the, the guy Joe that won the uh, matchmaker con- for a day contest. This was his fight that he booked and it was a good one. Um, I'd like to see Mick and Sean do more of that, you know, <laughs> of the uh, the vet versus vet. So, uh, but yeah, once it, once it played out, it was a little bit more decisive than I expected. Um, Cody kind of turned back the clock there. He hit, Brian with some early shots and then ended up getting kind of that interesting, unique sort of looking face plant barrel roll sort of knockout. Um, but it's great for him, man. I mean, I think it breathes life into his career, to be honest with you. It's one thing when a guy goes out there and he gets a, a solo win, breaks a skid like he did against Trevin Jones. But it's another thing to go out there and, and start finishing people and have your record show a lot of, you know, a lot of green in recent fights on the uh, the win loss mm-hmm. resume. So Good for him. I called for a fight against Figueredo. Um, I don't necessarily know if that makes sense or it's smart, but they both have their big enough names where if they both want it, the UFC mm-hmm. needs to give those guys fights. Put it on 300. I think that's the sort of, of of depth that Dana White's looking for would be a matchup like that. Yeah. Goes, what do you think of Garbrandt? I think you shared some thoughts uh, uh, during the watch along, but anything you want to add to that? Yeah, just momentum. You know, keep up with that momentum and – Because honestly, Cody Garbrandt, being a former champion, fighting the way he fights, I think no matter where he's at in his career, the guy on the other side of him probably has a little bit of fear still. uh, Because we all know what he's capable of doing. 
And if he can just be consistent with what he did on Saturday night, he can very easily remember when you're like a former champion, whatever the road back is to the title, it's a little shorter for mm-hmm. you. You can jump the queue a little bit here and there. So we'll see what he can do with that in 2024. He's had some serious injuries, but he's only 32 and he was already styling too. When he knocked uh, Kelleher down, or I think he heard him, he was already kind of pointing and, I thought it was going to come back to bite him because Kelleher, you know, he can throw, but then he finished him. The only regret I have is that before the match, they didn't say something like, hey, how about the winner shaves the loser's hair? That would have made my night because I don't know what Kelleher was rocking. But, uh, yeah, c- congrats to Cody Garbrandt. He won. We That's move on. never play out, George. <laughs> um Ariane Lipsky defeated you know what if you guys ever do the bet thing again where I shave my hair and Danny the mustache the losers have to do Kelleher's hair in the back oh my god that yeah. mini mullet he had was so that so funny but it was awful um Ariane Lipsky looked great against Casey O'Neill and now that's two in a row O'Neill started off nine in a row nine in a row in the sport uh, she's lost two in a row, and Lipsky, I mean, she looked good standing. She looked good on the ground. I, I, I'm a fan. Big time. She uh, she impressed a lot of people. You know, that, that Casey O'Neill, I guess we could talk about it now. Um, I kind of mentioned she had a pretty decent camp. Every time I was in there, I saw her, and she was going pretty hard. But even uh, we were at Extreme Couture, what, on Monday or Tuesday or something Tuesday. like that? She was on. A, she was in a fight there. Like I mean, she was ready to go. She was dialed in. Lipsky just came to scrap, man. She she's super tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for Lipsky, I mean, that's this is what she, she needs, really. Um, she was known. You know, she's got the, one of the greatest nicknames in MMA, the Queen of Violence. Before mm-hmm. she came to the UFC, she really lived up to it. And since she's been in the UFC, um, you know, I can think of this one, and I think she also beat Luana Carolina with a kind of nasty. Mm. submission so these are the sort of things she needs for that nickname man i mean um it's one thing to to be the queen of violence and, and have people tune in because you're ripping people's limbs off it's another to be eking by with with decisions or losing so good for her this is a really solid solid win um and she seemed to have uh you know turned her career around here she's going to be one to watch at 125 yeah speaking of 125 to gear ulenbeckoff submitted cody durden Slick submission there. Andre Feely, he's usually going to a decision when he wins or loses. He gets the finish. Huge for him over Lucas Almeida. Uh, Shamil Gaziev defeated Martin Boudet. So he stays undefeated. He now goes to 12-0. and 0. The bonuses went. There was five altogether. Fight of the night. I don't think anyone had any doubt over this. Rosa and Aldana. Um, Josh Emmett gets 50K for finishing Bryce Mitchell. Ariane Lipsky gets 50K for finishing Casey O'Neill. And uh, Gaziev gets 50K for finishing Boudet. So 250 grand given out. Any other stuff before we get to Duplessis and Strickland? Any other stuff from 296 you guys want to cover? Yeah, not really. I mean, the press conference was what we kind of expected, I think. I mean, I think the only thing is in Georgia, if you you have this bulleted for later, then we we can pass on it. But MVP going to the UFC, I think was dropped that was the first thing that was announced at that press conference and it was kind of said so nonchalantly by dana white too just you know reading off the fights oh michael venom page versus kevin on like wait a second did he did he just say michael venom page is in right the yeah. kinda, like a, a big thing you know what i mean they should have announced it on the broadcast or something but yes uh, you're yeah, right you know a chance uh, to really make it a bigger deal and show it maybe with some highlights uh, you know that was a big 
a lull in between some of the fights. The prelims had a lot of finishes, so if they wanted to do it, then you know whatever. I know during the during the uh, pay per view, um, you know that's prize territory uh, in some regard, but that's a good way to promote that you just signed a free agent. You know, you the guys took some heat a year ago when they didn't sign Kayla Harrison. This was a chance to pound their chest a little and say, hey, look, we got the guy who's had some violent finishes. In fact, maybe the most violent. Take a look at this knee at Cyborg's ex-husband's forehead and what, what it did to him. Oh, yeah. And by the way, he's already signed and fighting at UFC 299. They missed. They, they dropped the ball there. Yeah, and I'm, it's, you just got me thinking, too. I wonder if um, because of the PFL acquisition of bellator i'm assuming espn we might be we might see some bellator highlights on ufc broadcasts so it would depend on if the ufc was into that but i believe the uh the tree of of copyrights they could be doing something like that by now but um yeah man totally i mean it's it's, it's a great signing it breathes we talked i've said it like four times on this podcast the expression breathes new life but you know it's it's very similar to michael chandler man i think mvp has always been about the fight promotion and it's always aggravated him my understanding discussions I've had with people at Bellator, some of the stuff he said even publicly. He's always been frustrated that he doesn't feel like the promote that the promotion side of Bellator gave him the platform to really extend his audience. You know, he felt like he was doing all these flashy things. He had the highlight really had the look. And sometimes he would feel like, you know, well, they half-assed the commercial because they don't have enough staffing, stuff like that. And he's always said, honestly, he's always said that he would one day fight in the UFC. Before all is said and done, I want to do it. This is even when he was contending at Bellator. I know it used to piss people off. Him and Scott Coker at times didn't necessarily see eye to eye. So mm-hmm. this is this has been on his mind for a while. And I think he's very serious about it. And now he's got that sort of uh, – he's going to have that increase of popularity like we saw with Michael Chandler, man. He, he could – within two fights, we could be talking about him in the title picture, I think. I wish Early. he would have made one little pit stop at karate combat. Because <laughs> when we were sitting there watching those guys go at Bro. it, Benson Henderson – and Anthony Pettis, all I could think of is, man, I think uh, MVP would be pretty nuts here. Hmm. All right. Well, we'll get to that in just a sec. We're going to go a little bit over because, like I said, this is just a huge fight week. Nolan doesn't have a flight to catch for a few more hours. Goes is already exhausted, uh, so we might as well just keep pounding away at these guys. But, um, you know, okay, I know I said Duplessis and Strickland, but we got thrown off uh, – Dana did announce that he announced some fights. Uh, I'll I'll tell you those in a second. But he also said, "Blame me. I'm the asshole for putting Duplessis near Strickland." So Sean Strickland, I'm sure you guys have all seen the video. Sean Strickland got into a fight with Drikas Duplessis, and many, including Goes, said, "What the hell? These guys are seated pretty close. What's going on?" And even this happened before the fight. Um, because they got heated, guys. They got heated at the press conference. You know, I was talking about what Colby had said. Well, Duplessis and O'Malley kind of had a go at uh, Sean Strickland. And, of course, Sean Strickland's never been shy. But apparently it struck a nerve. Well, no, not apparently. He actually admitted it. Yeah, you, you know, you did strike a nerve. They, they show these fighters on camera. And then Strickland kind of plays up to the camera, turns around. Tells Gilbert Burns' family, hey, step aside for a sec. Because it looked like what Duplessis was saying, hey, come over here, come over here. You know, I don't know what his version was. If it just meant, like, let's do a face-off or maybe he's just, you know, playfully saying, get over here and let's fight. And obviously that's not going to happen. But Strickland fooled everyone. He says, you know, step aside. Let me just come over. 
and uh, he actually attacked him. It was one of the better ones if you're into that. And of course, Dana first he said, "Look, this is the fighting game. Nothing's gonna happen to either guy. The fight's still gonna go down." But he did take some blame for even putting them near each other. What were you guys' thoughts on what transpired and how Dana reacted to it? Yeah, I mean, I was sitting there at press row, uh, you know, waiting for Patty Pimba to walk by so we could kind of film him doing his thing. And, you know, he was dancing and stuff. And so I heard a big pop and I looked up. I assumed, you know, they had showed Donald Trump a few times. The place had gone nuts for that. So I assumed that they were showing something on the screen above me. Um, and I looked up and it was a Venom promo. So I'm like, all right, well, that's not what everybody's going nuts for. Um, and then as Patty was walking by, I saw like police jumping in, Volk was up on the chair as, as everybody's seen. So it was quite the scene, um, you know, and then obviously it comes out that it was, it was Sean Strickland and, and Tariqis from moments ago from, from Sean pointing the gun at him and them talking. Uh, man, it's just Sean Strickland. First of all, the big takeaway from one of the takeaways about him this week is like, he is so popular among the MMA fans. It is crazy. Like every everything, the press conference, when they showed him up on, on screen at the uh, the fights, place went bonkers, you know? So he's obviously plugged into something, um, whether it's comedy, whether it's political, whatever, with, with the MMA fan base. Uh, with that being said, I do think the UFC has to be somewhat careful when it comes to, obviously, their seating chart. That's the number one thing. But also... You know, if, if, if they're going to allow guys to not take any blame for jumping people, they need to be careful, man, because there's obviously there were kids there. I know Sean Strickland, uh, you know, told Gilbert Burns' family to move out of the way before he he jumped over some rows to throw some punches. But um, all it will take is some fan, some old person, somebody's child to get stepped on or hit or punched or squished or whatever. And, and I think you start talking about lawsuits. So, um it's not great. I'm sure it will sell fights. I mean, I'm not going to lie when, when somebody, when I think there's a grudge match and I think it's real, I think that the heat's real. It makes me more interested. So again, right. we talk about the controversy versus the sportsmanship and which one's more popular. Another example of that. I mean, the UFC was playing the, the video five minutes after the pay-per-view ended. So this is, this is going to bolster the pay-per-view buys next month for sure. Mm -hmm. What do you think is? I need to know where the line is. And I think fighters need to know where the line is because mm -hmm. they'll just continue to push that. If you show up to work, if you're supposed to be at work at 8 a.m. and you show up at 8.10 and nobody says anything, guess what? Next week, you're showing up at 8.15. And little by little, that's going to keep extending until you get checked. And and what what's scary with these fighters is the next step can hurt somebody. Like Nolan said, somebody can get pushed on. Somebody could get stepped on. A knee could, a leg could snap. You just never know. And if we're just going to take the attitude of, Oops, I can't believe I put them next to each other. I don't know that that's going to fly. I think other fighters are just going to go, man, look, these two just got into it. There were no repercussions. So if I see somebody, I'm slapping the hell out of them. It just overall, it was one of the dumbest things that happened. The way it was handled was kind of dumb. And, um, you know, one thing that doesn't really get brought up is the fact that, like, what if one of them, what if, what if one of them would have broken a hand or something and that jeopardized the fight? Like, how? How dumb would that have been, you know? So they need to figure out what the line is and make sure that fighters follow the rules. Mm -hmm. um, do you guys remember the palace? Wait, the malice of the palace? Yeah, with Ron Artest. Yeah. Was, is that too, were you too young for that one, Nolan? Or oh, do you no, know? I remember that. That's like one of my, I, you know, again, I was, what year was that in? 2004? It was in 2004, I think. Yeah. 
And I remember when it happened. I remember I used to watch probably from when I was in first grade. I'd always get up, watch, you know, Sports Center in the morning. Mm -hmm. I remember being like captivated by that. Like I thought it was awesome. You know what I mean? I kind of still do to a certain degree. But I can't remember if it was that particular incident. And so what I'm talking about, folks, is it got ugly in Auburn Hills, uh, Michigan, where it's a suburb outside of Detroit where the Pistons played. And some fans kind of got into it with the Pistons. The Pistons went up and fought, and it was it was really, really an ugly scene. And I can't remember if it was that fight or maybe one of the ones from the 90s, but I think it was that fight. What they did was, what the NBA did was, they said, from now on, if there's a fight, you can't leave the bench or you're suspended, right? And if you're suspended, you lose a paycheck, and obviously I think you miss a game. So that's really, really serious stuff when you're in the playoff hunt or when it's actually the playoffs. And so now you see the newer generation of fighters react by, A, coaches tell you stay right here, and then other players tell other players you just can't go out there. It ain't no mob mentality. Whoever's out there, they got to straighten it out with the three officials, some coaches or whatever. I, I wish the UFC could do something similar to that where they curb the fighters from wanting to push the envelope, you know, or or mm-hmm. draw the line further out or whatever it's – Whatever it is, they're not doing it. It's the opposite, man. Homophobic slurs, um, you know, c-word uh, at, at the press conference. Uh, just these false kind of accusations, the pedophile accusations. I mean, what the hell? Like, you know, like we we kind of took some strides during the pandemic, where we actually became a proper sport. Kind of, I thought, gained some respect. Got away from those old days of where I think, what was it, the human cockfighting? And we've cleaned ourselves up pretty nice. And yet it seems like now we're regressing. And look, I know Dana says somehow this is producing, you know, more bigger gates and more pay-per-view buys and, and or whatever. But I, I hope we never have an ugly incident like that malice at the palace. And I hope it's not a late reaction to uh, having to clean things up because they're just not necessary. The sport already has become pretty big. Just because the athletes are phenomenal, the events are phenomenal, we kind of don't really need that stuff. That stuff is what people do in high school. You know what I mean? On the streets, at nightclubs or whatever. Um, That's not us. We're professional athletes, you know, and that's what we cover. And uh, I guess that's all I want to say on that. Um, Dana did release some fights for 2024. Uh, We already knew we were getting O'Malley versus Vera at 299. Volkanovski versus Taporia at 298, uh, Duplessis versus Strickland at 297, Buena Silva versus Pennington at 297, uh, Cejudo, uh, he's fighting, who's he fighting, guys? Oh, Davalashvili at 298, but 299, they really, really threw a lot at that one, man. Chukagan versus Macy Barber. Curtis Blades versus Jelton Almeida. This is the O'Malley Vera card, by the way. Mateus Gamrod. He just fought, guys, versus uh, Rafael Dos Anjos. Kyler Phillips versus Pedro Munoz. Lauren Murphy versus Kareem Silva. Um, and that's in addition to Paige and Holland. Yan. Peter Yan versus Song Yadong. Is this all for real? Ian Gary Machado, uh, Ian Machado Gary versus Jeff Neal. Gilbert Burns versus Jack Dettel and Madalena. That's amazing, isn't it? It's crazy considering UFC 300. What the hell are they going to put on that? Well, it's funny, it's funny enough because somebody brought this up the other day. UFC 199 was pretty 
solid as well. Oh, that was a great you know? card. Like, I think in terms of entertainment, that's one of the best top-to-bottom cards ever, the way it played out. But I think on paper even, I remember at the time people saying, man, this card's really good. This is this is a good pay-per-view. Hopefully they don't use up too much talent for, for 200. So I have a feeling the UFC, um, we might see 301 and 302 take a hit mm-hmm. because of 299 and 300, but I think 300 is going to be all right. I'd be shocked if it's not just a really stacked deep top-to-bottom card. Yeah, and if you think about it, um, they're going to Saudi Arabia in March. They say they want to make a splash there. Then they got 299, and then Ramadan uh, is around that time as well. And so some of the fighters might not be available for 300. So they're already kind of, you know, uh, chipping away at some of the big names. But hey, I'm not going to argue. I'm happy mm-hmm. for Miami. That's Pretty stacked. Guys, one last thing. You guys went to karate combat. How was that? Talk about that. We um, went to the moon, go, bro. Go seemed pretty blown away. It was a trip, man. It was a weird, a weird, one of the weirdest things I think I've ever done in my life. Um, <laughs> the vibe there, it was cool. First of all, I don't say that in a bad way. When like whenever weird shit happens in MMA, I love it. This was very similar to that, but different. Um, yeah, it was cool. I'm, I'm glad that they did this. I think it could be something that we see them going forward attaching two UFC pay-per-views in the States that they get um, sanctioned in. Um, but yeah, the, the setup was crazy. Um, you know, the, the crowd, the people that were there, it was people from the crypto community. There were celebrities. There were, um, you know, a lot of fighters. Sean O'Malley was there. Volkanovsky was there. Ilya Taporia was there. Um, and it was, it was just fascinating, man. Um, the, the pit, I think, adds a whole other element into it. I still don't 100% understand all the rules, you know, maybe if I watched more with broadcasts, I would about what qualifies as a knock, you know, a sweep versus not and a takedown and all, all that sort of stuff. But it was cool, man. People stayed, you know, it was a little long. I think the pacing was a little long as well, but people stayed from beginning to end. Um, it was from the media perspective. It was super free. Like I could just walk wherever I wanted, just walking back into the locker rooms or whatever. Um, you know, the kind of the pop up areas they have with guys training. Um but I had, I had a blast. I thought it was a really unique experience. And they actually put us on, uh, I don't think it, you could see it on the broadcast, but because it was green screen, they had a construction barrier with balconies. Like if, you, if guys were painting the outside of a big building or something or building it up, maybe cement, you know, a cement building, they put us all on that. So Jose and I are standing up there, goes on the floor, but there's people's legs hanging down above us. Like they were sitting with their legs hanging off the side. And every time somebody would move, you'd feel the whole the whole um, balcony I didn't trust move. That one. Yeah, it was certainly sketchy. I just kept having visions of the whole thing collapsing and like, you know, crushing everybody below too. And and but they did a good job. The the thing, the structures were built properly. Very cool experience live. I'd recommend it to anybody. Um, you know, anybody that 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 has the opportunity to go. And um, their new uh, their new promoter, um, Asim Zaid, I believe his name is. He's the the head coach at Goat Shed. Uh, mm-hmm. He seems like he's going to do everything he can to kind of make the stick out in people's brains. He kind of wants to move it away from just being the traditional sort of respectful form of karate and make it have, you know, as, as Go's got a front row seat to, there were aliens that were twerking at this event. Oh, yeah. I didn't tell you about that, huh, George? Aliens? What, what, yeah. What, what? Uh, dude, first of all, they scared the crap out of me because I didn't know they were in the room. There were girls that were dressed. They painted themselves green. And they were right behind me. I turned around. I just saw them. Scared the crap out of me. But they would just go up on the rim of the uh, pit and just dance. Some of them were green. Some of them were blue. It was kind of odd. But 
overall, dude, the it was just fun. Like Nolan said, it was different. And then uh, the fighters delivered. They they for them that was their UFC. You know, they really really performed well. When you get to the the last two fights that featured former UFC fighters, uh, they brought it too. Didn't you say that one of the original calf kickers, Benson Henderson, put oh, one on Pettis? <laughs> those calf kicks, dude. That club, like uh, for those of you who are familiar with WWE, it's it. it it was literally like a lumberjack match. We were right there where we, if we wanted to, we could have just slapped them in, in the head, you know, when they got close. Uh, but a calf kick like that, that close, I never, ever want to get hit with one of those. Yeah. Benson Henderson, Ricardo Lamas, they all argue over who may have had, I think Wilson Gavea, who may have had the first calf kick maybe 12, 15 years ago. But uh Yeah. I, I heard great things about this event. I can't wait to catch one. Goes and I will go over the World MMA Awards on Thursday show. But I guess let me just tell you guys, congrats to Leon Edwards and Alexa Grasso. They won the Fighters of the Year, respectively. I guess I wanted to at least throw that out there. Karate Combat was a hit. And uh, UFC 296, look, it wasn't the greatest card ever, just because it kind of you know puttered across the finish line. But still, it was a great card. Price conference was a little... Eerie and dark, but hey, we're all big boys. We know what we get into uh, with the sport. I, I just, like I say, hope it doesn't go any further than that. I think it already went far enough, but it's the fights themselves that we want to see. We want to see more Aldana Rosas, that's for sure, or some of them finishes on the uh, prelims. But anyway, check out Goes and I tomorrow. Uh, Nolan's a frequent uh, panelist as well. It's a spinning back click, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. We'll do a show tomorrow. We're going to recap everything that went down this week. We will be off on uh, Christmas Day. That falls on a Monday. And to by tomorrow's show, I think we'll have a good idea whether we'll be off New Year's as well, because that also falls on a Monday. You can follow us on social media. I'm at MMA Junkie George. Goes is at the Goes. And we'll inform you of our uh, junkie radio schedule as well. We'll probably take a show off in between the holidays and the spinning back click show as well. Nolan, what's your, what is it, MMA Kings or is there a yep, underscore? Uh, at MMA underscore Kings. All right. Well, Nolan, thanks for doing the junkie radio show with us. Safe travels to Boston. Great job again this week and obviously throughout the year. You earned your nominee thing. I wish you would have taken it down, but I'm sure you'll take one down. Before it's over, but I will congratulate Nolan on winning the Junkie staff picks for 2023. Great job, Mr. Secret. The last three weeks wouldn't allow me to see his picks, so I couldn't play the opposite game. I don't think it would have mattered, but um, yeah, great job, honestly. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I appreciate it. You guys have always been super supportive of me since day one of me jumping on with the squad, and uh, I'm happy that Junkie was nominated again this year, too. You know, I think that's the one that. Uh, that would be really cool for us all to win. Goes was just showing me one of the trophies you guys have from yesteryear in here. So a little bit of motivation going into 2024. But uh, yeah, guys, anytime. Let's do this more often. Sweet. All right, guys, take care. And folks, thanks for tuning in. As always, we'll talk to you soon. Go out and be a champion. Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. 
Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.